Welcome to the I Feel You podcast, a show all about mental health, race, love, and all things life. One conversation at a time with human therapists, Adriana Martinez, Lena Nicodemus, and dope guests from different places and spaces. This is not a substitute for counseling with a licensed professional, just the coolest waiting room you've ever been to. Welcome back to the I Feel You podcast. My name is Adriana. I'm Lena. And we are here with our second guest for the season, Lisa Cleary. Lisa Cleary is a tough love self-help writer with a focus on interactions and relationships, mindsets, and goals. Her work bypasses a cheerleader approach and realistically dives into our everyday issues. Her work has been has appeared on Today, The Huffington Post, Women's Health, and Love What Matters. She was a former daily health columnist for NBC. We are so honored to have you. Welcome, Lisa. And today we're really going to be focusing on your new book, which both Lena and I have read, How to Survive a Breakup When All Your Friends Are Birthing Their Second Child. Welcome again. Thank you for having me. Um, As you can see by the title of the book, uh, it's my first book, so it's as I said, the not it's not the next great American novel. I joke about that. It's a silly title, um, but it's self-help. And I wrote it as a 31-year-old. At the time, I was never married. I was single without children. And the point of that is that's okay. And there were no books on the market at that time. So this is about what what's it like going through a breakup at a, and I put in quotes, an older age, um, you know, again, without being married, and when a lot of other people are at other ends of the spectrum with, with marriage and settling down. So it's kind of a, my comical approach to that is how to, and I say, again, in air quotes, how to survive that as that self-help writer. So thank you again for having me on. Yeah, we're so honored to have you. And I thought a good way for us to start maybe would be to read a section of the book um, or, you know, a quote. Uh, One of the things that really stuck out to me when I was reading it, um, what if we can work to create a life that's less emotion driven, less mile marker driven, and instead work toward defining our own version of happiness? It's possible. I feel incredibly lucky that I've given myself that chance. And when I think of a future with someone else, I want to wait for the type of bond slowly through dating, a relationship, maybe even marriage that some of my friends have. One that teases out all of the best facets of myself and equally supports all of my ugliness. I want to wait for my best friend and that will take time and growth on both of our parts. My message isn't a plea for marriage and I'm not here to scare off potential suitors. My message is, in fact, a pushback against the immediate societal expectations and mile markers that are shoved down women's throats every day, rushing us to an ideal and not a connection. Needless to say, on the other end of the spectrum, many of my happiest friends are ones who have gone through divorces. We all draw boundaries and recognize what we want or who we want to be at different revolving times in our lives. Thank you for reading it again. Um, I really appreciate the two of you taking the time to uh, not only buy the book, but to read it. So that really means a lot to me. And, you know, to kind of hear that out loud, um, it's strange to hear your own words uh, read by someone else. But 
I, that is one of my favorite parts of the book because I write about women and the pressures that we feel. And I emphasize age consistently throughout my writing because we see these 30 by 30 lists or we see these mm -hmm. goals that we should feel like we should hit. And when life happens, no matter if you're married or if you're single, we start to wonder, well, why didn't we achieve the next best thing? Or mm -hmm. why are we single at a certain age? And I wrote this book because I went through a breakup and I felt like it was probably the worst thing in life that could happen to me at that time. Mm -hmm. And when I say that now, I realize how ridiculous that sounds, how melodramatic that sounds. And there were no books on the, on the market at that time that was like, get over yourself. And here's how. It was more about self-improvement and self-care mm -hmm. and manifestation. And, you know, I'm not against that, but I did want to push back against the fact that why aren't more messages being said to women, especially that it's okay to go through tough times in life or it's okay not to be where you are in life but we keep consistently reading lists of goals and it's okay not to keep running and running towards that so that is um you know my message with age because we feel like we should be doing more and accomplishing more and that's not always realistic that is something that i think is you know that toxic positivity mm -hmm. So I really, yeah. yeah, I do appreciate you picking that portion of the book because it is, you know, kind of an overarching um, message of mine. But along the way, I do make fun of myself and I'm very self-deprecating because, it, you know, it's life. We have to we have to get over it. But this is coming from someone who was a self-help writer who at 31 went through a breakup. I had to move out of my apartment and go through several moves. And I was laid off. So my joke mm -hmm. was at that age, not only am I a self-help writer, but someone helped the self-help because I had no job at the time. I was mm -hmm. not in a relationship and I actually didn't know where to live at the time. So I really had to dig deep and that's really where that all came from. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing your story so vulnerably too. I think it was something that for me, it felt really touching and, and funny, right? And as someone who uses humor to cope through a lot of things, I feel like your book really um, touched me in that way that, you know, you, you spoke about it and feel like very real, but that's normalized the experience, right? And, and not necessarily shamed. I didn't feel shamed. I felt really normal as I read your book and being that I'm I'm 35, um, just turned 35 and have a daughter. At the time that I had my daughter, nobody was envying me though, because I was 23. So it was not mm. a, uh, you know, actually I was having a child when no one else was having kids. And now I feel that everyone's now on their third and fourth child. And I, you know, I'm like, oh, like I'm behind, right? And I, I catch myself in those moments. But before we kind of move forward, um, Lisa, just so that we don't miss this piece, can you tell our listeners where they can find your book and um, your work? Sure. So I, I do have a website. It's lisacleary.com. So it's L-I-S-A-C-L-E-A-R-Y.com. And the book is linked through that website, but I'm also available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Apple Books, and Kobo. So a variety of digital and um, paperback, hardback options. Okay. And then we also, well, I found you on Instagram. 
And I found you like a week before I was really talking with Lena about creating this podcast. And so it was kind of perfect timing. And your book title just stood out to me. And I was like, her, we got to have mm-hmm. her. Lisa has something to say that I'm sure I need to listen to. <laughs> um, and, you know, again, normalizing it. I'm sure I'm not the only one that, that can benefit from the words that you shared in your book. So, so thank you. I'm glad that we were able to connect. Yeah, I remember when Adriana sent me your info and I read the title of the book, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm buying it right now. It was just, it is so perfect for, you know, a lot of what Adriana and I talk about is, you know, being in your 30s. I'm, I'm 30, I'm turning 31 in a couple months and um, being in your 30s and being single and, you know, um, my mom is sort of like, what are you doing? <laughs> Where's my grandchildren? And I'm like, I might move to Spain. I don't know. Like, that's not just not where I'm at. And um, it's definitely it's it's an interesting age to be in where everybody's at such different phases. So um, really appreciated getting to read a book with someone and their experience that was similar to mine in a lot of ways. But also you have a lot of stuff that was different. So, um, you know, what really inspired you to be so open and vulnerable uh, with your readers about your own heartbreak and your own story? Um, just with being self-help, I think when I was younger and I would write, it kind of started with like ways to cut calories or ways to meditate. And that was when I was younger and I didn't have as much life experience. And then when you start to go through a little bit more in life, then I was like, you know, I want to write more substantial, but what do I write about? And I had always wanted to write a book but I wasn't sure. So when I do write about things, much of my writing is about being vulnerable and awkward and the really the messy parts in life, because I feel like, again, and I say this as oftentimes an anxious perfectionist, but I feel like when I do share some of my harder times and how I've learned from that, that's really more impactful than saying, oh, you have to start at the top and here's how to get there. When I write a little bit more about like a breakup, so to speak, that's when I can have more meaningful conversations with people or reach people a little bit uh, more accessible uh, in that manner. But, you know, I wrote the book, I'm 35, I'm almost 35. I turned 35 uh, in about a month. But at 31, I went through a long-term breakup and I went through a layoff and I went through two moves in three months and it was pretty difficult at that time and I joke because yeah I thought a breakup was tough because you know everyone equates and I equated at that time happiness to be a relationship and it took me a while to learn that you can be the most lonely in a relationship you can be extremely unhappy in a very toxic relationship so I found it interesting then I was I was I was processing my own emotions is why do we not support people walking away from a toxic relationship at an older age? You know, Mm -hmm. we expect, especially females to want to settle down because we equate the happily ever after with a relationship and with true love. But Mm -hmm. I wanted to change that narrative in that my form of happiness now, and I write about how I shifted is, is about, how I want to define it. And that's going to be a little bit different for each person. So I just really emphasize discussing 
that walking away from a toxic relationship is as beneficial as walking down the aisle. And mm. so I wanted to write that because I felt like there was nothing out on the market. If you do a quick Amazon search, there are books like How to Get Over Your Breakup or How to Win Him Back or books that are more about a roadmap or a goal. And I don't write necessarily about a goal. I write more about the emotional process that I went through so that others could relate. And I feel like relating is really the most important part to figuring out how you want to heal, to figuring out what goals you want to make. And I do give tips along the way, but it isn't a roadmap. Um, and the biggest thing that I kind of related to is you think about all the weight loss plans out there. And if there was one weight loss plan that worked for everyone, we would be on it. Mm -hmm. And there's not. So this is kind of my contribution to a roundabout self-help. And it's not toxic positivity. It's here's where I was and it really sucked, but I want to help others feel less alone. So that's really what inspired me to write it. And I wrote it as I went through my breakup. And so that really gave it the more authentic, more impactful, I felt like writing, but I infuse it with humor and self-deprecation because going through a breakup isn't the worst thing. And that's really also the end message. I say how to get over yourself is really the important thing as well. So yeah, so that's, that's pretty much it. But it was just more so I needed a book like that, or I needed a friend like that to talk to me. So I, I hope that people reading that will, you know, feel less alone, at least one person that I'll feel like, okay, my job is done. So yeah, that's where that came from. Yeah, well, I'm I'm one person, so thank you. <laughs> I'm sure there's more, but I'll speak for myself. It was definitely cool to see that, uh, to read your book and to, uh, you know, I wish you had written it maybe two years ago. If that, if I can give you any criticism, <laughs> you know, because I was going through a really rough breakup um, that I'm so grateful for now. But it it took a while, and I think being in that moment, and like you said, it feels like the worst thing. And sometimes I'm like, oh gosh, come on. Like I wanted to say, get over yourself. Like this isn't. There's worse things happening, but I couldn't. Right, and kind of even shaming the fact that I. Um, that I couldn't get over it, that I, and that, you know, so I think it was really, it was really, um, uh, relatable when I was reading your book. So, so yeah, so you got one, one for me, um, for sure. Well, thanks. I'll go into retirement now. My job's done. So <laughs> that's that. Yeah, it definitely got me too. I mean, I, I, um, was going through a breakup, um, through, you know, part of quarantine, like the second, third of it um I guess still kind of going through it but um it's you know it it I was just I felt so mirrored when I was reading it like I felt like okay I'm not alone you know this is kind of weird you know because um personally something Adriana and I've talked a lot about um I'm someone who's kind of always been on the fence about marriage and kids which then adds like another layer of um, being this age and then there's like the expectation, but I'm not sure that I really buy into it. Um, you know, part of that is cause I have a spinal condition that would make pregnancy like really challenging. And so, um, you know, I sometimes feel like, okay, this is a weird age where it's like a lot of my friends and, you know, people I knew from high school are posting their pictures of their second kid on Facebook. And I'm like, all right, well, 
I'm not quite sure what I'm doing next, but even still, I felt like reading the book, it was like, you know, so much of the, you know, just the journey of being at an age where it's like, you're supposed to have it together in whatever sense, um, when we're all still kind of figuring it out in a lot of ways. So. Yeah. And I think, I, I think also, and it's, one of the reasons why I wrote the book and really what I talk about in my writing is that we're less apt, I feel like sometimes at that older age to walk away from relationships and, you know, divorce and children aside, because I haven't experienced that. But for me, just relationships alone, um, I, I think that a lot of women, and I'm speaking on behalf of myself, we are more willing to sacrifice our own happiness to be in, mm. again, toxic relationships to be in even toxic friendships because we want to be um, perceived a certain way or to be included in that cool um, friend group or that cool mom club. And, you know, it really, I want people to, again, define their own versions of happiness. And maybe it's not a relationship, but it's fulfillment other, you know, somewhere else. So my end goal isn't necessarily marriage and children. Again, it's working through happiness as we see fit, no matter who we are. Yeah. Yeah. There's no roadmap. And because we're also all different coming from different places and spaces and families. And I mean, like for me, I couldn't, I couldn't start over, right? Like my daughter's here. Like, so, so what does that mean for me? I redefine it so that it doesn't feel like if I didn't follow the steps in this way, then I can't be happy. Right. It's like, how do I define it with what I, what I have now? And I think, um, that's just, again, my personal experience, but I'd like to believe that people can create their own happiness as well in whatever circumstances they find themselves, right? And there isn't this one-way track. Um, and so kind of speaking to that, Lisa, like I, I'm saying that out loud and I'm also noticing how much I struggle because it's still so it's so implanted right this idea of what is happiness and for women particularly what does that mean with children and marriage and you know I, I think we've gone away from the white picket fence and what the nuclear family looks like maybe just a little maybe because we're also um, I mean I'm in the Bay Area so maybe that protects me from that mentality a little bit but um, yeah like why don't we throw parties when our friends break up and celebrate it as a, as a, as a something that was meaningful, but maybe just something that they had to go through in order to be in another place that's happier. But yes, it's, it still sucks, but how do we, how do we support each other? Um, especially again, speaking to, to women um, who often are the ones getting these messages of you are enough if, right. Mm -hmm. As opposed to like, you are enough period. Um, so anyways, I just, I appreciate like us three having this conversation and for this just to unfold organically as, as I'm also like, yes, intellectually, like taking in the, the information and like this idea and still being an, on that journey um, to embody that a little bit more. So I think with pushing back, it would be to push back against I mean, and there are so many facets, I think, to push back against. It can be as simple as a conversation with your friend or reaching out to someone or sharing an article on social media and not feeling like you need to fit that box. But um, let's see, how do, how do I push back against that? It, 
it would be something that I say is that I do push back against what I call the toxic milestone mentality. And it's really just coming to your own terms. It's not like something that is going to happen with a snap of the fingers, but embracing and understanding that it's okay not to hit what people feel like they think we should hit um, in life, which is, you know, and I do say marriage and children only because I got those questions a lot. And so pushing back against that would be at the, at the core is conversations. And for me, I was always asked, are you married? Are you dating anyone? Do you have any kids? And then I would see people's faces drop when I said no. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't that it wasn't that they, you know, meant anything malicious by it, but I explained that people oftentimes, again, think that that's what makes them happy. And so therefore they want that for that other person, just like as simple as, you know, oh my gosh, I got this amazing wine. You should go get it. It's great. And I know that that's on a completely different playing field, but that's pretty much how that works. And when I became more understanding of that and less bitter about that, that helped me. But in that, I would find that, you know, people's faces would drop and they wouldn't know how to carry on that conversation. Mm. And so that was just from my experience. And I find that as women, we feel like we should overcompensate for that instance. So that when I see their faces drop, that I should say, oh, but I'm doing something amazing at work or, oh, and then list other accomplishments. And so by changing that narrative that you are enough, it's okay to let that conversation drop. It's okay to let that person process that because that's not a reflection of me. It's not a reflection of anybody else. Um, that That's something that you need to work on, kind of letting go. And when I stopped feeling like I needed to overcompensate or prove myself, then that's when that conversation would shift a little bit more. Maybe it ended and I was okay with that awkwardness, or maybe I was able to turn to a different subject or that other person could turn to a different subject, but it's just accepting that again, that that's okay. And I think that secondly, you know, with divorces, I think in many ways it's natural that when we see something dissolve that we want to be sad and share those emotions with those people to reach out if they're okay. I didn't know how to reach out to friends in their own hardships at times. And so it was kind of easing up on those expectations of the people who surround you and kind of saying, hey, I am going through a bit of a hard time. And once I explained myself and was more forgiving of my friends, that's when my relationships and my friendships actually grew. But Conversely, it's also knowing your boundaries, again, with feeling that you're enough. When people give you just, I say they're conversational pings, you could point out on the site, you know, hey, that bothers me when you say it's like a, it's a, it's a love for my child that people without kids don't experience. And I get that routinely. And I am, you know, I am turning 35. I do not know my own genetic history. So I do have anxieties with kids. It's kind of like the what ifs. And I write about mm -hmm. that. I don't think, can I? I now think what if? And that is hard when you're, you know, in an older age, very candidly. Um, so when I, when I then started pointing things out, 
or when I then would just gently recorrect or, you know, re-navigate conversations and really the hardest was with friends, uh, then I felt like that that shifted fine. And if you have a friend or if you have a coworker or someone like that who still keeps coming back and antagonizing you or trying to hit you where it's a sore spot, so to speak, then you have to reevaluate that friendship or that relationship with that family member or that interactions with your coworkers and kind of, you know, maybe draw those boundaries up a little bit more. But I've certainly been in French um, Facebook chats where people have teased me about having like oodles of free time. I don't sit on the couch and watch tons of TV. Um, I use that time, you know, a little bit more productively. I, you know, I, I definitely give it to parents, especially right now. Um, but the perception was that I was living this extravagant kind of like self-indulgent life. And mm. so I would explain that too. And just by having those conversations that helped too. Yeah, that's a great thing that you bring up is, is just this idea that, you know, this is really what this stage of your life is about. And if you're not you know, taking care of kids, what are you doing? Like, you, you, you know, you must be doing nothing, just hanging out, right? And I've, I've had situations with friends where they, you know, they felt like I um, wasn't really considerate of the fact that they had kids, and maybe they weren't able to, you know, do a lot of the same things. And I, at the time, felt like they just kind of expected me to always be the one to go, you know, over their house and be the one that, you know, meets them more than halfway because I don't have a kid to take care of. So I must have more time and resources. Right. And so um, I think it's, you know, as someone who my, my go-to answer when someone asks me like, you know, why don't you have kids or why, you know, whatever I say, you know, I've always just focused more on my career, which is true. But sometimes I feel like, should I, am I really required to give you an answer? Like, do it, you know, like what, what obligates me to explain to you why I'm single at 30, right? So. Yeah. And somebody else um, had just recently asked me this question. And um, again, the, I don't feel like I'm enough often happens with, you know, the, those conversations when you are kind of like, uh, you know, on, on the spot. And my biggest recommendation um, would be, you know, to be understanding, to kind of get that feel for, are, are they just trying to have a, a conversation with you or are they trying to get under your skin? And, um, you know, that's something that I always try to figure out. And that's something that's easier said than done. But if you ever feel uncomfortable, I just mentioned that simply saying, oh, I don't have kids. What's up? And <laughs> deflecting that conversation or deflecting that question back has been helpful and it doesn't ever you know it helps not to escalate the the conversation depending mm -hmm. on on who it's with and um but it, it it is uncomfortable and oftentimes you know you you see your friendships shift and it was important for me to keep in mind that all friendships have seasons not to feel excluded and to even say like oh wait i want to come with you when you have play dates with your kids just because i don't and just simply saying that, you know, can, can really reduce a lot of fights or tensions that could happen. Someone actually told me recently that they're, they struggle as a, as a married 
couple without kids because sometimes they think that single people don't want to hang out with couples. And so they struggle mm. and they're like striving to find other couples to hang out with. But really that's just an assumption. And I don't know, you know, I didn't explore that further, but I, I wonder how much, you know, again, that's an assumption to believe that a single person wouldn't, but where's that coming from? Like, that's almost making the single person not like, like there's something wrong with a single person because they can't invite a single person because they're going to feel bad for them. Like it's almost like a projection of what they're feeling, right? Around having a single person hang out with a couple and allowing people just hold their own boundaries and express what they need and what they don't want to participate in or what they do want to participate in without like creating a story before, before that. Yeah, and I think, and I, I write about this is, once we kind of get over our own individual melodramatics in life, because we have that expectation that life needs to be consistently explosively high. And that's just what we assume from social media or from articles, et cetera. But once we get over, and once I got over my bubble of, oh, woe is me, that's when I was able to have more in-depth conversations, like with my, one of my best friends. I, I was like, you know, I, I envy your life sometimes because you get to come home to a home. Uh, you don't have to come home to an empty home. And I'm struggling with that right now. And she confided in me and she's like, you know, I'm the first um, person out of our friend group to have a child. And I feel isolated. I don't have those people that I can talk to. I don't have that support network. And I'm trying to figure that out on my own right now. And she's like, I feel extremely isolated. And that's in her own capacity. So once I, you know, again, got over myself, that's when I realized we often all feel alone, no matter the life stage too. And so whatever ideals that we have, we need to release those. We need to still work hard at whatever goals that we want and work hard out of relationships, but also really release what we feel like things should be and let them go a little bit better. Hmm. I love that. That's, you know, I feel like, that is really helpful for anyone, you know, regardless, you know, you don't have to be a woman in your thirties going through a breakup to really get something out of that message. Right. Because I think that's so much of just, you know, going through life stages is comparing where you're at to other people, but really what it is most of the time is like comparing what I like, like to call and I got this from a friend is comparing your insides to other people's outsides so you're comparing like how you feel about yourself to how you see other people and especially with social media like Instagram it's this you know really just kind of heightened view of someone that might not really reflect their life or their experience and so um, you know really it's about just kind of being being content with where we're at you know even if it's um, not where we kind of wanted to be at a certain point right so you know how do you feel like i'm curious like how do you feel your breakup helped you understand your your mental health differently and kind of shift um how you show up for yourself and and you know other people in your life so my breakup helped me in that i was writing a lot about these ideals oftentimes and it and again I kind of use like cutting calories or dieting as that as a main message but it wasn't really discussing you know my struggles with goals and so my mentality changed in that I 
I did not want to keep pursuing the next best thing. And again, no matter where you are in life, I feel like women feel like they need to achieve that. And I, I let go of that. And once I did, and once I let go of a lot of toxicity in my life, that gave me opportunities. So with that mindset, you know, at 31, I, I did feel like a failure and it was very hard for me. But then, and it wasn't just an aha moment or it wasn't something that happened overnight, but I just let myself be sad. I let myself be miserable. And I realized that there wasn't anything wrong with that. There wasn't anything wrong at that time with what I was going through, which was a temporary depression. And I wondered, you know, a lot of people wonder when they're feeling sad or when they're feeling low, they want to immediately correct that. And for me, in my experience, that's not something that is actually healthy. It's healthy to work through your emotions. It's healthy to, to just embrace that. And one of the things that I wrote about in my book was I was mentally and physically exhausted and I couldn't figure out why. Uh, there was a magic answer, but one thing that helped was I would just sit in very long, hot showers. And that was something that helped me find respite and things like that are okay. And at that same time, we don't have to share that with our friends or our family. We can keep these things to ourselves as we work through that. So it's that balance of understanding ourselves, but also allowing ourselves to have help without being codependent on those people. And I didn't want to be codependent on friends or family for my own happiness. And I wanted to figure out really, again, my own temporary depression. And that was like, to, to figure out what would make me happy. And maybe it wasn't a relationship at that time. And that's really what I also didn't, what it, I also did encounter. But I also realized that I didn't want whatever happily ever after it is. And for some people that is marriage. For other people, that's a dream career. For others, maybe it's a compilation of everything, or maybe it's just getting to the next day and that's its own accomplishment. But whatever it is, um, if you focus so far down the road on that happily ever after and you hate your life along the way, that's not a life. That's not a happily ever after to me. And so I had to reshift my mindset into understanding that life has lows and that a lot of people have lows. They have much worse uh, lows than me than a breakup. Mm -hmm. And it's just navigating through that. And that's, that's life. That's really just life. And so I, I'm glad that I went through everything that I needed to go through. You know, I'm glad that I went through a layoff because I wouldn't have written my book. I wouldn't have really thought, well, what is my calling? What will make me happy? And I use that to propel me into, you know, defining again, better goals or other happiness aspects of my life that I wouldn't have experienced. I wish we, we had like a, a class that we all had to take in like in elementary, right? Every year you had to take like a social emotional learning class so that people can just normalize emotions and know how to interact with others when they're having emotions and not necessarily um, having to push away certain emotions or shaming people that are struggling or not knowing what to do when someone's depressed and whatnot, right? And so um, our podcast is really around trying to 
like destigmatizing, you know, the mental illness, mental health, and like also, I guess, destigmatizing to, you know, this is the first time I'm saying it, but just destigmatizing feeling sad too. Like it's okay, it's normal, and it's actually very healthy, like you said. And I think it's really awesome to hear um, you say it, what it was, what the experience was like for you, and coming to terms with that um, part of, of the process. Yeah, and it was also important that I not be codependent or emotionally codependent on somebody else. So I think when we go through hardships that because we don't want to feel sad, we rely on that other person to lift us up and that's draining. That's often when you carry that into your next relationship and that's then going to be unhealthy. But I would often rely on my mom for, you know, her consistent therapy sessions. But, you know, at some point that was good because I was talking to her about it, but at other times it was kind of like, you know, figure it out yourself, do it yourself. And that is what I decided to do. It was kind of like, I was so unhappy with my life, you know, almost, you know, living in this nice apartment in that relationship at that time, but I, I wasn't happy. And so I would lean on her for that. So, you know, when I kind of went through everything, I wanted to change. And so I was like, well, it's, you know, now or never, but I didn't go from zero to 300. I realized that it was okay to take, you know, little, little tiny steps along the way too. Yeah. I would, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, bring up this question, which um, is around your own personal experience um, with race and culture playing into uh, your circumstances and how you felt and how you reacted to all these different changes that were going on in your life. So I wonder if you'd be willing to share a little bit about how race and culture played a role during this difficult time in your life. Sure. So I think with dating, it, it's interesting because I am from the Baltimore, D.C. area. And, you know, it's a mix of it being diverse, but it's also very suburban and it's very, um, you know, it's not diverse. And so with dating, I was scared to go back in that dating pool. It made me want to potentially stay in a relationship that, you know, maybe felt safe, but was toxic at that time. And, you know, I did end it. And, um, you know, in going back into dating with regard to race, you you kind of wonder uh, about that. Are, are, you know, dates going to be harder to come by because people maybe aren't as receptive towards diversity or aren't as receptive to minorities. Um, if I wanted to move, uh, is this place going to be diverse or will I feel, you know, racism? That's something that non-minorities don't necessarily have to even consider. Um, so, you know, with dating, uh, gosh, I, I did go on dating apps. So I was, after I broke up, I went through my breakup. Um, I mean, I signed up for, I was like, you know, I'm just going to date. And I signed up for Match, um, Bumble, um, mm -hmm. you know, so I found that when I would go on dates that there were different guys that would ask what my ethnicity was and expect me to be um, kind of like that walking encyclopedia and I'm Korean. Uh, I was adopted 
and to just kind of be that walking encyclopedia of everything Korean. And I'm actually mm. not fluent in Korean. And so there was that expectation, kind of maybe that ideal that they had of me without meeting me, that I'd be someone that I wasn't. And then I felt like I wasn't as immersed as I should be. And certainly I want to, um, you know, be more immersed in that. But I felt like a failure in dating in that aspect. And that's just how I felt. Um, conversely, there were other guys who, you know, were just very accepting and, and we would have like open discussions of that. And so that was helpful too. Um, so it was really a spectrum of that. It was, I don't know, you know, it wasn't, it was, it was difficult and, and it wasn't at the same time, but I definitely had my concerns. I definitely had my uncomfortable dates or uncomfortable um, conversations where I was just like, so I didn't feel good enough in my last relationship and now I'm dating and I still don't feel good enough. I mean, this is, this kind of sucks, um, but I just navigated through that and just kind of had to let that roll off my shoulders. Yeah. As someone who's also from the Baltimore area, I, I know that also, you know, in, in more suburban areas, um, it's, you know, it's very much like a part of a lot of cultures, you know, um, to get, you know, really have this focus on marriage and kids, you know, both my brothers who still live in Baltimore are probably going to do all that stuff before me, you know, because the Bay Area, um, the culture around here is a little bit different, I think. I don't know what you'd say about that, Adriana. Um, I don't know. I get, and I could be very wrong, and hey, listeners out there if I'm wrong like call me out I'd love to know where I need to move to have a more and better chances in the dating world but I do feel like there is a sp specific culture in the Bay Area where it's um, a little flakier a little more I'll just keep swiping because the grass is greener uh, or you know this mentality that you know um, there's always something better and so I don't know. And so I, I get frustrated in that culture because I'm like, you just, you just got to get to know me a little more other than just uh. like, hello, and then what's up? And then it's like next. Right. And so it, it does feel really exhausting to, for me, my personal experience has been exhausting to date in the Bay area. And I don't know if it's Bay area culture related or whatever, or millennials or like what is going on or what people are drinking, like what's in the water. I don't know. Um, but I have heard people in other parts of the United States have said that there's like, there is this like, yeah, Bay Area would be really hard for me to find like dates or to be in relationship because there is a different mentality around. And this is the same thing I think with even like jobs, like people jumping from job to job, like what's the next best thing kind of mentality. And so I don't know if that kind of permeates into the dating world as well, where people want to keep striving for better. Um, and they believe that, uh, like long-term relationships, I think are, are harder to find. I don't know. That's just my personal experience. And I've lived in the Bay area all my life, but, um, with the exception of, you know, being born in Mexico, but coming when I was very young. So really being raised in the Bay. So that's just been my personal experience, but yeah, there's something in the Bay area, um, that has, makes it a little harder, I would say. I know it's not impossible, but I'm always really curious now, and I feel like I ask people, like, how did you guys meet? Like, <laughs> doing my, my research, like, how did, you know, and 
so there's that piece and I have been in relationships so I know that there's that that possibility and there's hope in, in finding uh, love through these apps that you've mentioned which Lena and I are very aware of, um, Lisa, because we navigate them um, and we keep trying to find the best one. I don't know what that means, because, um, but yeah, that's been kind of our experience in dating and, in, or my experience at least in the Bay Area and the culture of dating, so. Like around this area and, um, you know, again, like the Baltimore area, um, so I found that I had to keep my radius you know, it, I couldn't compress it into like this walkable distance. So I think that's where you might have a little bit more of a beneficial, um, a beneficial geographical location. Um, for me, I had to, I had to expand it like, you know, to 60 miles. And I was like, yeah. this is exhausting. I'm working. And then I had to get dressed up and then mm. drive. Um, yeah. So that was hard. But um, for me, and again, when you're older, it, it adds some complications to things because you are finding people who aren't emotionally available. And mm. that is that is its own separate um, beast. And, you know, how do you how do you draw what you want and what you don't? How do you not put a lot of pressure on dates when you're older? Because I mean, we're busy. Um, so how, how do you navigate that? And fortunately, uh, and I say this, I, I am a bumble success story, but in walking away from my relationship years ago, I mean, I spent years on, on, on these dating apps where I was just like, I am just going to keep going on dates and that fit my personality because I am fairly outgoing at times. And it wasn't until last year, um, and then I ended up meeting someone who was an hour, an hour and a half away, and we ended up hitting it off. And he ended up moving in right before coronavirus hit. And it was kind of like, well, you're going to know now, or you're not going to know, or you're going to know now, or you're going to, you know, realize that this relationship will or, or won't work. And fortunately, it's, it's worked out well, um, but we definitely got to know each other in a compressed amount of time because we couldn't go anywhere. So the joke that I always say is he would always say, oh, you're really laid back. And I was, you don't even know what's going on behind the scenes, bud. And now he's like, you know, that, that went through your mind. You actually thought that. So um, you know, it was just, it was something that I couldn't control. It was something that um, when we're older, I feel like, you get these questions, are you, are you too picky or is it you? Or if someone's treating you poorly, you think, well, maybe it's me. And maybe um, I'm, I'm projecting something that he's picking up on or he's busy. And those are the easier answers than, you know, he or she or whoever, maybe they're not interested in you. Cause certainly I would make those excuses and, and dating is hard. Uh, but in, kind of where I am, I found that there are people who were on the opposite ends of the spectrum and no in between. They're either emotionally unavailable or they wanted to settle down right away. And mm -hmm. so really my advice for that would be to be vocal about your boundaries. And then also for me, it was dating multiple people at a time and not trying to focus on one person and putting too many eggs in one basket 
some people may not agree with that, but that's what worked best for me. And when you online date, it's very tiring and it's very confusing. So, um, I mean, it sounds like a joke, but I would have to come home and take little notes on people because I would limit dates to like two, two or three people at a time. And I would, it's just what worked for me. And, and um, I tried to go on dates where it was just like one date and I wouldn't put too much emphasis on it. But if it started continuing to go well with that person, then that's when it would shift that I would, you know, think, well, you know, maybe, but if I found that I was doing like the body scan or like the whole scan of someone on the first date, well, that's too much pressure for him and for me. And I had to back off. So I found when I would go on different dates that that was helpful, but remembering what I said and, um, you know, the conversations and the, and the things that people would share, um, it was just laughable because I would have guys who would bring up conversation tidbits that I never said. And conversely, I would do that. So it becomes very confusing at times, but you just have to laugh about it. So once I relaxed and was myself and not who people, not who I wanted people to think that I was just myself and maybe I had a bad day and I could bring some of that to, to the day or um, I, I just wasn't so like cheerleader and, and just like bubblegum glib, like, hey, how was your day? But I was more me that's when I started to have more success with dates. And if I felt like that someone was kind of being a bit phony, um, then I would pull back and I wouldn't feel bad about it. I would just say that. And I started to have more success with that um, too. And so um, the guy that I'm dating right now, he's actually extremely private. So I'm not even allowed to say his name. Um, he, he prefers not um, to have that shared, which is kind of kind of complicated when I'm an over-sharer and I'm a writer, um, but we, it was, it was, it was luck. Um, in my opinion, it was definitely God's plan, but our circles were revolving and we were in the same life stage and we just so happened to interlock at that time. And it turned out, you know, very healthy and, and, and great. I would not have had this relationship with this person if I didn't walk away from something and walk away from what was expected of me years ago. So I am, you know, I am, I am lucky and I'm certainly, you know, still learning about relationships along the way, but yeah, um, dating apps are, they are, they are tiring, um, but you gotta just, you just gotta do it. I don't know if that's good advice or not, but that's, 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 um, you know, I've had, I had success from it. So that is just my firsthand experience and others may not agree. And, and that's totally fine. It's worth a shot. If you want to try something different, you know, I think mm -hmm. new things is also, um, it's brave, it's uncomfortable, but you know, it's, it's not a bad idea, right? Like I'm going to write notes. Thank you, Lisa. I, I have messed up so many times where I'm like having a conversation that I was thought I was picking up from the last time and they're like what are you talking about and I'm like nothing anyways how was how was your day <laughs> uh -huh. awkwardness and yeah we laugh about it because uh, that happens but um I I think 
I think being able to just be open, like obviously you're speaking from your truth and your story and your experience. And maybe someone's been trying to do something different out there listening and they're like, maybe I'll try that. And maybe someone will find love just by taking that tip, right? And, and trying something different. I'm a fan of trying something different, although it's easier said than done. I, I think that, yeah, I agree with a lot of what you were saying with, with uh, you know, how to approach the dating apps. You know, it's, it's really like, you know, you can be messaging with someone and then they meet someone else and then you don't hear from them. So putting all your eggs in one basket isn't the best approach. You know, there's a lot of people on there and it can feel, you know, a little bit like statistics where it's like, okay, how do I know which side I'm going to fall on? So might as well just kind of try and just, you know, make this fun, be myself. I'm going to message different people and just try and like talk and, and see kind of where it goes. And, you know, maybe I'll meet someone who I ended up in a relationship with, maybe not. But. Yeah. And, and um, I was on a one podcast and a, and a guy said that his tactic is how does he repel everyone around him and who sticks around and that's how he deciphers his dating pool so I thought that was a hilarious approach um but yeah I I guess my biggest tip for for people on dating apps is um to to uh I I don't know I think I could write an encyclopedia on it because I was on it for (laughs) years and years so um in volume one I would just say to commit the time that you can have, but not to make that your sole emphasis until someone deserves that time. And that, you know, when I would go on dates or when I would um, feel like dates were fast and furious, and I'm not saying in a sexual way, but an emotional way, if it was very exciting and very passionate at once, those are actually the ones that dissolve very quickly because they were playing games with me or they weren't um, stable people. So we kind of approached dating, or at least I did um, when I was older, in wanting that quick instantaneous connection. And mm-hmm. I found that with the person that I'm with now, that someone who's a little bit more stable and in a better spot will approach it slowly. I want to get you to know you a little bit more slow. Um, so he was definitely more quiet but I watch about the dates that he would plan so our second date he planned a paint night and that Mm -hmm. got my attention because I was like um you know this is someone who is trying to invest his time and interest in me um so you know again I I don't want to go it's just it's just kind of gauging and learning about people, you know, along the way and the quality of people that you allow into your life. And so, you know, with going through breakups, uh, being more, um, you know, more vetted with your time. So maybe you don't want to meet your uh, neighbor for happy hour because it's convenient. And that's something that I started to shift towards. I started to want to meet people who were more meaningful. So dates that I would have more fun with, dates that were be more respectful of me, friends that I haven't seen who are my best friends versus kind of, you know, just going for that instantaneous gratification all around. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a very broad answer. I'm talking about dating, et cetera, all at once. But, um, you know, I think with breakups, well, dating then is that kind of 
kind of goes with it. But um, yeah, it was, it was, it was certainly interesting. I, like I said, I could write books on it. Maybe not I'll do my next book. I don't know. <laughs> this has been so, so lovely to have this conversation, uh, to talk about a book with the author is kind of cool. Um, and to get some more insights on what it was like to write it, where you were inspired and we really appreciate your vulnerability even in this space right now. I'm sure um, it kind of speaks to how our podcast is set up anyways, to bring more vulnerability and realness um, so that folks out there can really access it in a way that's meaningful. Um, I really think this was a rich conversation and um, we're really, really glad that we had you, but we don't want to let you go without maybe any final thoughts um, that you have, anything you want to leave our listeners with, um, including, again, repeating where they might find you or connect with you over social media. I think my takeaways for people listening is that it's okay to feel like you're not where you should be in life. And I really encourage people, if they feel that way, um, to take a look and understand that it's okay to be sad. But at the same time, what do you want out of life? What makes you happy? And it's to explore that. Um, it's to, you know, explore your boundaries. Is making you happy reshifting conversations with friends or redirecting um, questions that make you feel uncomfortable? Um, for me, yes. Um, for me, it was working towards goals, but also embracing that I was upset and that I wasn't happy with my life at the time. But it's also that letting go of the, the toxic milestone mentality. So if you're married, if you're single, and you constantly want the next best thing, you will never be happy if you're chasing it. And so to let that go and define your own happiness, that really would be my takeaway with the, with my book and, and my writing in general. Yeah, no, it's been super, super cool to, to hear you talk about your experience and it's very inspiring and relatable for me personally. So I'm really honored that you not only shared it in a book and in writing, but that you're having this conversation with us from across, you know, the States. <laughs> so yeah. um, thank you so much, Lena. I don't know if you have any final um, thoughts or words or appreciations. Just so appreciate having you on with us and you know getting to hear more about your experience and like where it really um relates to ours and where you know i'm learning new things from what you're sharing and you know this has just been a really great conversation appreciate having you on yeah thanks and then for um those listening again the website's lisacleary.com um and the book is how to survive a breakup when all of your friends are birthing uh, their second child. And I'm on Amazon, but you can also find me um, at my website and on Instagram, I'm at lisacleary3, and it's the number three. So that's my sales yeah. pitch. <laughs> yeah, awesome. And it's really cool to, to connect with you over social media, especially during a pandemic when we're in community on our social media platforms, I think a lot. So. Thanks again, Lisa. Um, we look forward to seeing all, you know, everything that's um, next for you and staying connected. Yeah. Thank you so much again for your time and um, yeah, have a great rest of your day. We appreciate great. it. Great. Thank you for having me on. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks.
Thanks for joining us for this conversation. If you like what you heard, follow us on Instagram at IFeelYouPod. That's the letter U. Or you can email us at hello at IFeelYouPod.com. Again, that's the letter U. The music on I Feel You is from Thanks. You can find them on SoundCloud at THNX or Instagram at THNX Music. See you next time. Yay!